everyone. My name is Shreya Bandiapadhyay. And my name is Tania Folks. And we are Andrew Goodman Foundation Ambassadors from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we are excited to welcome you today to our fourth episode of this season. We hope this podcast on civic engagement and voter mobilization will provide both an escape from your everyday task and an increase in awareness about how to take action in the world we hope to build and shape. And today, we are so excited to join in a discussion about dark money in politics and how it shapes policy and lawmaking in our state. And before we get started, we just wanted to take a moment to introduce ourselves and our wonderful guest, Jay Heck from Common Cause Wisconsin. Today, since it's snowing outside in Wisconsin, our icebreaker question is, what is your favorite thing about winter? Are there any activities that you're looking forward to? And Jay, would you like to start? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you, and I can't think of a place I'd rather be uh, in the beginning of winter in Wisconsin than here uh, on the campus talking to you. Uh, you know, I am a person who, over the years, has reluctantly accepted winter, and so what I do is I make plans to go somewhere warm for at least two or three weeks at the end of January and early February. Unfortunately, my son lives in Thailand, and so that is a nice warm place to go to be able to escape winter. But until that comes, I just uh, say, let it snow. Wow, that is such a great answer. I certainly can't relate to having an escape in Thailand. I think my closest escape is my apartment, and I definitely will make that as cozy and warm as I possibly can. But hello, everybody. My name is Tamia Folks. I am a senior at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Andrew Goodwin Ambassador and the Big Ten Voting Challenge intern. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and my favorite thing about winter is spending Christmas with my family. I'm an only child. I really love spending time with my family, so any time that I get to share with them and with my dog is always a hoot. And I think I can do that at any time of the year, but Christmas is, is extra special. Yeah. Definitely. And my name is Shreya Bandiapadhyay. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, and I am the co-host of this podcast, as well as an Andrew Goodman Foundation ambassador. Um, I also do not have anywhere as warm to go as Thailand, but that sounds incredible. Um, I think probably my favorite thing about winter is similarly spending time with my family and friends and then also baking. Although the last couple of times I've baked, I've messed up at least one thing. Like I forgot sugar and then I forgot to grease the pan. So this winter will be my training. Love, love that. We love progress and the baking experience. Um, thank you both for sharing. And we can go ahead and get started with our conversation. And as Shreya said, our conversation today is about dark money. And I can say for myself, and as we kind of were talking about a little bit before we started recording, this concept, though it has always been a hot button political issue and a really high conversation point in political dialogues, I don't think I really understood the severity of the issue until I started writing an article about it for a class that I'm taking this semester, which I posted on my Instagram story. I asked people, what is dark money? And I got really dismal responses. Very few people who knew exactly what it was. And so, Jay, we wanted to start by just asking you, what is dark money? It's an excellent question. Uh, let me just say, by way of introduction, uh, the Common Cause is a nonpartisan organization, and one of the things we do is try to track money in politics. Mm -hmm. And by money in politics, what I'm talking about are uh, contributions, generally, that are made to candidates that run for either federal or state office. And generally speaking, uh, money in politics, I think people generally assume, would be something that you would be able to look at and you'd be able to track and be, it would be public knowledge. And that would be what we call disclosed contributions. 
And it is true that there is uh, a number of ways that you can give to a political candidate where it is a matter of public record. And there are also, uh, in some places, uh, and in Wisconsin would be one, but also at the federal level, there are limits on the amount of money that an individual can give to a candidate running for public office. And it's good for people to be able to know that because it gives them a sense of where their support for that candidate's coming from, who's trying to influence them, uh, and all of the other things that go with giving money to a candidate. Uh, it's, it's a good way to be able to find out something about that candidate. The problem in Wisconsin and in the nation, though, is that in roughly the last 20 or 30 years, certainly, we've seen a movement away from the disclosed public knowledge of where this money comes from to what we call secret or dark money. I actually prefer the term secret money rather than dark money, because dark money, I mean, what does that mean? Secret money means we don't know where it comes from. And generally, uh, what secret money, where it comes from, are often from wealthy individuals or from corporations, uh, occasionally from uh, labor unions, but generally entities that don't want the public to know where the source of the money is coming that they're trying to use to influence the outcome of, of an election. Now, those sources of dark money, secret money, certainly want the candidate to know because they want the candidate who's running for office to know that they helped that person and that they, that candidate will be beholden to them. But the public is often shut out of that equation and that is a real problem and it's a growing problem in uh, American and Wisconsin politics. So uh, secret money, I think, has a very uh, corrosive effect on democracy because it really raises suspicion about, uh, in, the, in the public eyes, about who is funding the candidate. It often, people don't understand why policies are sometimes made if they can't see some of the groups that are supporting that candidate, the interest groups and it keeps people really in the dark, hence dark money about, uh, about how government operates and how public policy decisions are made. So we can talk about this, but there are, we can talk about why dark money has evolved and become what it is, and we can also talk about some possible solutions to getting rid of dark money and having more public disclosure. Definitely. And so kind of before we get into all of that, so one of the primary goals at Common Cause, um, which is the organization that you lead, is transparency in campaign spending and understanding um, who dictates our political perspectives. So before we talk more about like this dark money, how do you think that Wisconsin has failed to uphold these expectations of transparency and disclosure in election laws? Uh, that is a great question. I am obviously a little bit older than you. I've been <laughs> around uh, a while longer. And when I moved to Wisconsin in the late 1980s to take a job in the state capitol, I moved from Washington, D.C., where I worked for a member of Congress. And in D.C., one of my jobs actually was raising political money for candidates or, or the candidate, the congressman I was working for, to run for re-election. And I moved to Wisconsin in part because this state had a reputation for being very open, transparent, having very good disclosure, having honest, accountable politics. And it seemed to me like a great place not only to move to work, but also to raise a family, good public schools, and all of the other good things that come with being 
uh, a Wisconsinite. And so uh, when I moved to Wisconsin probably 30 years ago, it was the case that there was much more transparency, that people would run for public office, they would, they would get campaign contributions, but generally that was all disclosed. People were able to see where that money came from. And also 30, 40 years ago, it cost much less money to run for the state assembly, uh, for the state senate, even for Congress or for the governor, compared to what it costs now, uh, 30 years ago, the, the amount of money was much less. And so people knew where the money was coming from. What has happened over the years, and it's not just in Wisconsin, but certainly a big, a, this is a place where a lot of it's happened, there has been a movement on the part of some to try to make sure people can't find out where that money comes from. Uh, it's, and hence, again, dark money, secret money. And so there are either laws that have been passed that prevent the disclosure of that money or a failure, and this is really the, the bigger point, a failure to demand disclosure from some of these sources of money. And so that has been a problem and it's been a growing problem because special interest groups because of some major Supreme Court decisions, which we can talk about the Citizens United decision and some others, have made it less possible for people to limit the amount of money in politics and then also uh, have made it more difficult for people to demand disclosure. Uh, disclosure itself is something that anybody could do and every government, any state government, uh, the federal government could have tomorrow if there was the political will to do it. The problem is that there are powerful special interest groups that have prevented this disclosure and have prevented the, uh, the right of people to be able to know where this money's coming from that influences not only the outcome of elections, but influences public policy, uh, the very decisions that affect our everyday lives. And that's why it's such an important issue. This isn't just a matter of like knowing who's giving money to a candidate to win an election. It's knowing where money's coming from that influences decisions, everything from why is, the, why is the interest rate on student loans so high? Why can't that come down? Well, one of the reasons is because the powerful banks that, that make those interest rates don't want you to know that they're giving money to politicians who don't, and, and they tell those politicians not to lower the rates. So, I mean, those are all the things that affect us in everyday life that this money is, is such an important part of. Definitely, and so do you think you could just elaborate a bit more on, I guess, so you were saying how we see uh, dark money and secret money in everyday places. Could you elaborate a bit more on how maybe Wisconsin students are affected by this and just Wisconsin residents in general and beyond? Sure, you know, um, again, as I mentioned, uh, you know, probably 30 years ago uh, in Wisconsin, uh, campaigns for running for the state legislature uh, or governor or attorney general uh, were not nearly as expensive as they are now. And so uh, there was money in politics because you need money to do things like pay for campaign buttons and signs, although you don't really see many of those anymore. Now most of the money goes towards broadcast communications. Those really disgusting, sometimes really awful 30 and 60 second ads that pollute your television screen or even pollute your computer screen uh, that come on. And those are paid for 
by either candidates themselves or they're paid for by outside special interest groups. And that money is then, of course, used to attack the candidate uh, that they're opposed to or support the candidate that they're trying to boost. But with that money also comes strings attached. The groups that run that money don't just do that because you know, they're trying to promote lots of conversation during the campaign. They often give that money because there's something they want from whoever's elected once they're in power. So the way it affects uh, us in everyday life is on any issue you can imagine, whether it's funding for public education in Wisconsin, you know, K-12, or even higher education, uh, funding from the state or the federal government for uh, everything from student loans to grants, but also support for the University of Wisconsin system. All that money is tied up in the state budget, and the people that have the most control over the state budget are often the people that give the most in campaign contributions to the people who are elected that serve and serve on the state budget committee, which is called the Joint Finance Committee. And lots of that money is in the form now of dark money. It used to be disclosed, but because so many special interest groups and other outside groups don't want the public to know where that money's coming from, they have been able to stop laws from being passed that require the disclosure of that money. So what I'm saying is that there's special interest groups, very powerful, usually businesses, corporations, but also other ideological groups that are able to control and send money to elect people into public office and then prevent things from happening to have that money disclosed, but then also secretly be able to get their way with the legislature, with members of Congress, because the members of Congress and the members of the legislature fear that if they don't do what that special interest group wants, that that group might withdraw support for them, give support to an opponent, and defeat them in the next election. For sure, and that's incredibly helpful to understand. According to research that we've been able to do and that we've been able to identify from the Brennan Center for Justice, powerful political action committees and organizations have poured more than $1 billion into federal elections since 2010. And they focused a lot of these efforts on highly competitive races in, in states like ours that are swing states or that have really major positions on the line. And so what races in Wisconsin have we seen get the most attention in regards to dark money and also have the most funding pushed behind them? Well, that is a, uh, an incredibly perceptive question because one of the things you said is that those special interest groups and powerful uh, lobbies, lobbyists and, and, and groups like that contribute to races that are highly competitive. One of the problems we have in Wisconsin and in the country is that there are fewer and fewer really competitive seats anymore. And that's because of a, of a process called partisan gerrymandering. And just now, as we are talking in the Wisconsin legislature, uh, there have been a new redistricting plan for 2021 just passed, which is highly gerrymandered. And by gerrymandered, I mean the outcome of elections in Wisconsin is already preordained by the way they, they uh, shape the districts. And the Republicans in Wisconsin are in control here. So what they've done is they've packed Democrats into fewer districts. They've spread their number of people out over more districts. And there's very few competitive districts. We have 99 assembly seats in Wisconsin, less than 10%, less than nine of them 
are at all competitive. In Congress, we have eight congressional seats in Wisconsin. None of them are competitive. They're all safe seats because of gerrymandering. So the special interest money that then does come into play plays a huge role in the very few competitive uh, seats that we have for Congress or for the legislature. But where it's particularly telling is in statewide uh, races for governor, for instance, or for the United States Senate or for attorney general, in part because gerrymandering doesn't affect a, affect a statewide election because when you run statewide, you're getting the votes of everybody in the state. You're not just getting the votes from people that live in your congressional district or your state legislative district. So gerrymandering works that way. It doesn't work statewide. So, uh, but in the statewide uh, office, the, the last campaign for governor of Wisconsin was $100 million. And most of that was undisclosed secret money. When I came to Wisconsin in the, in the mid-1980s, the race for governor between then Tommy, uh, Governor uh, uh, Challenger Tommy Thompson, who, by the way, is now the, uh, the head of the UW uh, system, uh, governor uh, and Governor Tony Earle, the total election cost of that race, total, spent by both, was $3 million. It's now $100 million. And, and that $3 million back in 1986, you knew where all the money was coming from. Now we know maybe where maybe 25 of the $100 million came from. The rest is secret dark money. Definitely. Um, I made a face when you said $3 million and then you said $100 million and I said, well, that's an increase. <laughs> <laughs> to me, $3 million was a lot already. Yeah. Um, but you had mentioned uh, the citizens case earlier and you had kind of talked about these court cases and how they affect secret money and dark money, or secret money slash dark money. Um, so uh, just to talk a bit more about these court cases, so a lot of them over the past 20 years have influenced the mechanisms that independent organizations can use to support political candidates. And so these include the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act passed by Congress in 2002, and as you mentioned, Citizens United um, versus the Federal Elections Commission de decision from the US Supreme Court in 2010. Um, so considering these bills, such as the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, uh, and that they were sponsored by senators from Wisconsin, like Russ Feingold, what have conversations around dark money looked like in the state? And are there any organizations or initiatives that have tried to limit it? Well, a great question. And I spent a good part of the first part of my career at Common Cause working on what was called the McCain-Feingold Act, the Bipartisan Campaign Finance reform bill of 2002. And uh, what that was trying to do was that, and that, that affected uh, federal elections. So elections for the Congress, elections for the uh, US Senate, elections for President of the United States. And what the McCain-Feingold law did, and it was passed by Republicans and Democrats, signed into law by President George W. Bush, a Republican in 2002. And what that did was it prevented secret dark money from flowing to the national political parties, which was a good thing. And it also required the disclosure and regulation of secret money to federal campaigns. In other words, money that was spent by outside special interest groups. If you wanted to spend that money, you could, and there's no limit on it, but you had to, uh, you had to it had to be regulated and disclosed. And that was important because that 
made it possible for the public to see where a lot of the money that was going into federal elections, where that money was coming from. That was passed into law in 2002. But in 2010, the United States Supreme Court decided in a very narrow, very controversial decision, five, five votes to four votes on the US Supreme Court called the Citizens United case, they undid a large part of the McCain-Feingold or bipartisan campaign finance law. And they not only lifted the restrictions, some of the restrictions for disclosure that the McCain-Feingold law had put into place, but they also undid a 100 years of settled law, going back to the early 1900s, that had prohibited corporations and labor unions from being able to use their, their treasury money. In other words, the money that a big company gets and gets puts in their general treasury, there had been prohibitions on using that money because there's so much of it. There's no end to the amount of money that corporations, and, and, and it used to be some unions, not anymore, had to be able to spend. And there were limits on how you, how, there, were, there were prohibitions on how, how you could spend that money in elections. The Citizens United decision said anything goes. They lifted the limits on all of that. And so the money that is now in American politics and in Wisconsin politics is virtually unlimited. And in Wisconsin and at the federal level, we would be able to require, if there was the political will to do so, disclosure. At least you would be able to find out where that $100 million to elect Scott Walker or Tony Evers was coming from uh, if we had disclosure. And some states do have that. Some states have passed disclosure laws. Uh, we, Wisconsin has not, and it has been because there is a majority in the Wisconsin legislature, and I'll be very honest with you, it's the Republicans who do not want disclosure. There used to be Republicans who wanted disclosure, but now their ideology and their party sort of dictates that we are not gonna require disclosure. Dark money is good. It's good to have secret money because that pleases the special interest groups who give us the money. And if the public doesn't know about it, too bad. Uh, it's just the way it is. And so if there was the political will to have disclosure, we could have it. And as I mentioned, several places have passed it. There is a, there is a, a legislation in the United States Congress that's that's always been introduced. It's called the, the Disclose Act. And unfortunately, uh, in the United States Congress, you have to have 60 votes in the US Senate, not just a majority. And it's failed to get that 60 votes, even though it's passed with a majority of support in the US House of Representatives. So that's kind of where we are. It's the disclosure. The other thing I'll say about that is ideally what we would want to do is get the genie back in the bottle by overturning the Citizens United decision. And that could be done by a 5-4 decision of the United States Supreme Court. So it's obviously very important who sits on the United States Supreme Court. And one of the things that you know, presidents, presidential candidates look at is where a Supreme Court justice that they're nominating might stand on money in politics. It's an, it's an incredibly important issue because I think it really, you know, the money and the, and the ability to be able to spend unlimited money and undisclosed money uh, undermines democracy. It undermines 
our representative form of government. And it, it gives so much power to powerful interest groups who the public has no idea where that's mo that, that money's coming from. Definitely. Um, and do you think you could talk a little bit more about how the citizens case came to be? Like, what was the genesis? Why, why did the Supreme Court maybe decide the way that they did? And um, kind of as you had mentioned, this is the state of things right now. What's the likelihood of that 5-4 decision coming to fruition? And um, a little bit about the benefits and cons, if it did. Well, the Citizens United decision uh, came as a result of the bipartisan campaign finance reform legislation, the McCain-Feingold law. And there were people who wanted to challenge that because they did not like the fact that there was a prohibition on corporate money being able to be used to influence elections. And they also didn't like the disclosure. And they didn't like the fact that they couldn't give unlimited money to the national political parties. So there were, there were a number of challenges to the McCain-Feingold law over the years. Uh, there was one challenge, I think, in 2003 or 2004. Supreme Court denied the challenge. They said, no, nope, that's not a sufficient reason to go after uh, the McCain-Feingold law. But what happens, as you know, it happened in the 2000, after 2002, uh, between 2002 and 2010, the composition of the United States Supreme Court changed. And it went from sort of a 5-4, uh, slightly Democratic, Republican balance to a 5-4 conservative balance. And then later, now it's, as we know, it's 6-3 conservative uh, versus progressive. But the conservative justices were of the opinion that there should not be regulation or the kind of limits on money that for 100 years had been the law of the land. And that, that's a, it led to a very controversial thing where you sometimes hear where people say, uh, or conservatives will say, well, money is speech. And the response to that is, no, money is money. People speak. Money is money. You know, it's, it's not... It's, you know, it's a, or corporations are people you sometimes hear. Well, no, corporations are entities, artificial entities set up by people, but a corporation shouldn't have rights that people don't have. And so the problem has been this ideological difference between the philosophy of whether or not there should be unlimited money or limits on money. I would argue that human nature plays a role here. If your father or your aunt gives you $25 in a birthday card, and then you have another aunt who sends you a very nice birthday card, but you know, doesn't really include anything in it. Well, you can't help but feel a tiny bit warmer towards the aunt who sent you the $25 or $50 check. It's human nature to feel grateful to people who help you or give you something. And it's the same way in politics. If a group is giving you money or spending a large amount of money on your behalf, you're going to feel very beholden to them, grateful to them, and probably more sympathetic with whatever it is they want in terms of public policy. And that's why the solution to unlimited money is something called public financing, where if the money came from the public, from the taxpayers, and there were limits on the amount of money that you could spend during a campaign, then you would be beholden to the public for the source of your funding, which means you're beholden to everybody. You're not beholden to one group as opposed to another group. You're beholden to the public interest 
rather to the interest than to the interests of special you know, groups that give money for a specific reason because they want a specific kind of legislation that benefits them but probably hurts somebody else. So public financing would be a solution. The overturning of the, uh, the uh, Citizens United decision is critical. And there are citizen efforts all over the country to try to do that by constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult way to do it, but it's also a way to get a lot of citizens involved in, in trying to educate the public about this. And there are many people who are committed to doing that. The easier thing would be if the United States Supreme Court were to be able to change it. Now, with the current composition of the United States Supreme Court, that's unlikely to happen because we've now gone to a very solid 6-3 conservative majority, and the, major the, the people that are on the court now, the majority, uh, have taken a very dim view of regulating um, uh, money. Here's the difference, though. All of the conservatives have said, at least publicly, that disclosure is a good thing. What they've kind of said is that if we're going to unleash all this money into Wisconsin or on the, you know, the United States at large, then at least people ought to know where the money's coming from. And that's why I say it's only a matter of political will for legislatures or for the Congress to pass laws, which is totally constitutional, that would require the disclosure of this dark money. That is something that could be done tomorrow. And the, what you need is the proper leadership in the Wisconsin legislature and in the United States Congress to get that done. There are very powerful uh, people in Wisconsin and at the United States uh, congressional level, the U.S. Senate in particular, uh, a guy by the name of Mitch McConnell, who's a senator from Kentucky, who's very powerful and been, has been able to block consideration of disclosure legislation. And in Wisconsin, there are powerful leaders in the legislature who have blocked disclosure or any kind of regulation of campaign money or uh, limits on money in Wisconsin. Yeah, and I also wanted to add a lot of our conversation today is centered around corporations and bigger organizations that are contributing to this type of dark money contribution in political action. But we did have a conversation a little bit earlier this year about dark money, and we also talked about how a lot of the times these these organizations, these special interest groups, they don't have to be you know large bodies of people who are representative of some ideal that a big group of people have rallied around. It might be one or two people who have one specific interest that they want to push and have the resources to do so. Can you share a little bit more about how those types of special interest groups work and how much power one person or two people can have in shaping the political process? That is such an excellent question because you're right. It's not just corporations or even labor unions that contribute money. Uh, sometimes it's uh, multimillionaires. Uh, and those people might have just a particular interest ideologically. You know, they don't like taxes or they don't, you know, they're anti-abortion or they're, you know, they, for whatever reason. But they have tremendous amounts of money. And one, what Citizens United did was it allows those people now to give unlimited money in the form of uh, money to, to independent groups. And these are the and it's the independent groups that do not have to disclose their money because we don't have a disclosure law. Now, if you are a multimillionaire, and there's there's an, a perfect example is a person by the name of Diana Hendricks who lives in Beloit, and she gave millions and millions of dollars to the Republican Party uh, over the past ten years into, into Governor Walker, but a lot of that money is secret money. 
because she didn't give it directly to Scott Walker. Uh, there were, she did give money to Walker, but there's limits on the amount of money that Walker can take from any one individual. In Wisconsin, that limit is now $20,000. But she can give also then millions of dollars to an outside group who will then run ads supporting Walker and attacking Walker's opponent. So there are people like that who have given lots of money. As you might imagine, that tends to favor Republicans because more wealthy people tend to be Republican. That's just sort of the way it shakes out. Although not always. In California, a lot of the Hollywood glitterati are Democrats and liberals, and they give an awful lot of money too. But certainly in Wisconsin. Uh, so that is one way. You're right. So the millionaires have been able to play a larger role than they otherwise used to uh, be able to do. And it's through uh, the lack of uh, limits on what they can give to these outside groups. That's right. And then we don't, again, we don't know, because there's no disclosure requirements, we don't know exactly how much Diana Hendricks and some of these people have given. And by the way, it's not just to benefit Republicans. It also, Democrats also take this kind of money. The problem, of course, is that when you have a game where all the rules have been broken, then everybody is playing lawlessly, in a, in a sense. They're all, it's the Wild West for everybody. So everybody's, you know, and so it would be unfair for one side to say, well, we're, we're going to limit our money and disclose everything if the other side's not going to do it, because that gives you a huge disadvantage. So that's the problem. And uh, until we get that problem solved, and what it'll take is uh, uh, a big scandal. I mean, usually it's scandals that bring about reform. And there's a big scandal in Wisconsin just waiting to happen. I don't know what it is. I wish I could tell you. Uh, but that's one of the things that my organization does. We're always looking for that. And usually when there's a lot, of, a lot of money involved, a scandal is not far off. Yeah, and, and knowing how long we've existed in this state of being where dark money is playing such an influential role in our political experience, what is you know, the continued danger as we look at the future as it continues to progress and more people, again, play that lawless game? Um, you know, like what do citizens do? What is the next step? Or how can that impact our vote even on a on a regular basis? Well, the, the thing to be, I think, alarmed about is the fact that we're now seeing much more money and much more dark money, not just at the congressional level or the US Senate level of the race for governor, or even just for races for the Wisconsin legislature, for the state senate or the assembly. You now start to see some of this money creeping into races for school board at the local level or races for county supervisor. You know, local races, which usually used to be a couple of posters and people knocking on doors to get elected. Now you're finding money being put into those. A lot of the money's going into social media ads. You know, ads on Facebook, uh, I guess Instagram. I'm not on Instagram, but I guess. And I think all other sources, sources of social media. So money's going in those places. The problem has to be that, I mean, the way to solve the problem is to get a handle on it by regulating it, by requiring disclosure. Again, regulation is not a bad thing of money. We had it in this country for years, for 100 years, from 1905 to 2010. Uh, there, were, there were some pretty good restraints on the amount of money that could be spent. We used to, at the presidential level, have limits on how much candidates for president could spend, and they would get public money. 
There's a check off on your state in, on your federal income tax, which goes to a federal fund for public financing for presidential campaigns. That's a good thing, because if candidates are not busy chasing money and not worrying about where the next dollar is coming from, they can concentrate on solving the problems of the people, and they're not beholden to some special group for getting that money. So the solution has to be, I hate to say this, but the solution has to be we have to go back. We have to go to where we were 30, 40 years ago, put that genie back in the bottle, but we also have to require, we have to demand more of our politicians. I mean, I think a lot of times people just say, ah, oh, that's politics, it's dirty, it's filthy, that's what you expect. No, you have, a, you have a right to expect more. You have a right to expect that money is not going to corrupt public policymaking. That when you go to the University of Wisconsin uh, in Madison, that the decisions that affect the structure or the building of the university and the funding for the education and all of those other things are not corrupted by some special interest group who doesn't want you to get the money but wants money instead to go to some purpose for them. I mean, you have a right to expect that, and citizens need to, need to be vigilant about that. The good news is that I think the generation, your generation, is much more, they recognize much more uh, what these problems are because they, look, you're faced with, you're faced with the real, very real uh, global crisis of global warming in your lifetime. I mean, you know, for guys like me, I'll be old, I don't care. <laughs> but for you, my goodness, that's going to affect your ability to, raise families and have good paying jobs and you know, live in, in places around the country that could be underwater or you know, God knows what. So money affects all of these public policy decisions. And I just think that uh, as people become more committed to, to global justice and to uh, trying to make the world a better place just to survive in, that one of the things you're gonna tackle is the corrupting influence of money in politics. And dark money is at the heart of it. Absolutely. And just quickly, if you could give people three bullet points of things to look forward to or look out for during the 2022 election season, what would those issues be? Well, you know, I think the, the thing that, that it's important for people of all ages to look at when they're looking at candidates who are running for office is whether or not those candidates are willing to do things which is, to, which, is to, which is to say they're willing to anger powerful people and powerful special interest groups on behalf of the people. In other words, are they willing to stand up and say, we cannot have corrupting money in our politics. We've got to put limits on it. We've got to disclose it so that people know where it's coming from. We've got to do things like end partisan gerrymandering so that elections are not already fixed and preordained. And I think most importantly, we have to make sure that people don't try to make it more difficult for people to vote. And I can tell you in Wisconsin, it is more difficult for a college or university student, public or private, to vote in this state than in any other state if you do not have a Wisconsin driver's license. Because the forms of ID that are available to college and university students is limited that, that you can use to vote unless you have a Wisconsin driver's license. But you know as well as I do that on some campuses in the University of Wisconsin system, including Madison, the ID that you are issued as a freshman has your picture on it, 
that should satisfy the photo ID requirement to vote in Wisconsin. It doesn't. You had to go to Union South to get a different ID, or you have to get another kind of ID to vote. That is disenfranchising people from being able to vote. So you have to demand the right to vote. You have to demand an end of corruption to your politics. And you have to demand that legislators serve you, not special interest groups. Definitely. I mean, as someone with a Missouri driver's license <laughs> who votes in Wisconsin, I know all too well the troubles of trying to get a valid voter ID here. But, um, you know, one thing that we always talk about on this podcast and one thing we've really tried to practice in Badger's Vote is institutionalizing these changes on campus and beyond. So, you know, for the voter ID, for example, we figured out how to have a mobile printer station for a voter ID at the election, um, uh, like when you're voting. Um, in short. <laughs> and so uh, could you talk a bit more about what action students and just people in Wisconsin in general can take to combat the secret money and maybe demand change from their legislators? I know you touched on it a bit in your answers, but maybe just expanding a bit more and giving like concrete examples of what people can do, whether it's protest or voting or whatever it may be. Well, it's, uh, this is really, uh, this is a, the question you asked is at the heart of the issue. And that is, how can you affect change? How can you make change happen? And uh, you mentioned uh, voting. That's first and foremost. Uh, I don't have to tell you that there are, uh, I think within the college age population, a lot of people that are vote and a lot of people that are activists, but there's an awful lot that don't. A lot can't be bothered. They just say, ah, I'm too busy, you know, or, I don't really live here. I mean, I'm here for college, but you know, I don't really live here, so I don't really have a stake in that. Unfortunately, a lot of those people then also don't vote back in the place where they're from. Mm -hmm. They just can't be bothered. So, so the key is you have to engage. And here's, here's what people don't understand. You know, it doesn't take very many people to get on the radar screen of members of the legislature. Uh, if, you know, 10 people write, or more importantly, go see a state legislator in the Capitol, it's right up the street. And they say, you know, we are from your district. We're concerned about dark money that flows to campaigns in Wisconsin. We want to know where that money's coming from. Well, I'll tell you something. That gets on the radar screen of enough, enough members of the legislature. That's how you build a movement. That's how people begin to get change. It's, it's only contact. What legislators and members of Congress count on is you not contacting them. Because if you're not contacting them, they are free to do whatever the heck they want. And they do. And so they can ignore you. They don't have to talk, talk to the issues that you care about because they don't hear from you. So, so why should they engage with you? I mean, that's wrong. They should because it's the right thing to do. But that's not what they do. They listen to the people who give them money. So that is the thing. Engage, uh, you know, contact people, find out who the chair of the Assembly or State Senate Education Committee is in the Wisconsin legislature. And if you don't like some of the education policies that have been passed, you can go to the public hearings, you can talk to them, you can contact your own state senator, your own state representative here, if you are on the Madison campus and you live here, it doesn't matter if you're from Missouri or Milwaukee or somewhere else. While you're living here, you, if you vote here, 
the state senator who represents this area, Kelvin Royce, is your representative in the legislature, in the state senate. And so she's the person that you contact. She'd love to hear from you. I mean, I think, I think most members of the legislature uh, who want to do the same things that you do and want to get rid of dark money, if they knew that there was a powerful student organization or a powerful group of students who were voicing opinions about this, that's the best thing you can do. And that's the best example you can set for not only people who are a little younger than you in high school, you know, but also uh, to show the people that are older that you're a generation that really is responsible and cares about what the, you know, what's gonna happen in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. This has been an incredible episode. I mean, we were just talking before we started recording how one of my friends asked me what dark money is when I told her about this episode and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully I will find out and I have, so. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What, can you say in a sentence what dark money is? Oh gosh. I <laughs> Well, <laughs> my answer is, hopefully it's not for a grade. Um, I think dark money is the secret money that's kind of coming in and influencing our politics and the decisions being made um, by incentivizing certain decisions for politicians and this money isn't known by the rest of the general public and that needs to change. That's yeah, because you have a right to know where that money comes from. Definitely. Absolutely, that's exactly right, you got it. So there you go. You've said in uh, one sentence what it took me an hour to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the goal. That's the goal. And we want everyone who's listening to be able to do the same. So we really appreciate you, uh -oh, again, wow. my... sharing your knowledge because this is a hard issue yeah, to, is. to come up to and to try to figure out. And so we're really excited that we could do this episode with you. And just wanted to thank you for being in this space uh, with us. Well, it's, my, it's my pleasure. This was great. And I really appreciate your interest in it. That's really important. And, you know, uh, if there's other things you want to talk about, whether it's voting or other things that affect uh, our democracy, uh, love to come back and talk to you again sometime. Yes. Anytime. We would love that. <laughs> we would love that. Um, so as we wrap up, for now, we just want to remind everyone to follow us on pod underscore cast your vote on Instagram and Twitter. Also, make sure to check out the band Juice, who created our incredible theme song, and Eerage WXH on Instagram, who makes our beautiful cover art. And thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to listen in for our next episode.